0: chapter 14 of the secret power this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by trish e matson what's the word now dot blogspot dot com the secret power by marie Corelli. chapter 14 convention is still occasionally studied even in these unconventional days and morgana royal independent and wealthy young woman as she was had subscribed to its rule and ordinance by engaging a chaperone a dear old english lady of title as she had described her to the marchese rivardi lady kingswood merited the description thus given of her for she was distinctly a dear old English lady, and her title was the least thing about her, especially in her own opinion. There was no taint of snobbery in her simple, kindly disposition, and when her late husband, a distinguished military officer, had been knighted for special and splendid service in the war, she had only deplored that the ruin of his health and disablement by wounds prevented him from taking any personal pleasure in the honour. His death followed soon after the king's recognition of his merit, and she was left with his pension to live upon, and a daughter, who having married in haste, repented at leisure, being deserted by a drunken husband, and left with two small children to nourish and educate. Naturally, Lady Kingswood took much of their care upon herself, but the pension of a war-widow will not stretch further than a given point and she found it both necessary and urgent to think of some means by which she could augment her slender income. She was not a clever woman. She had no special talents. Her eyes would not stand her in good stead for plain sewing, and she could not even manage a typing machine. But she had exquisitely gentle manners. She was well-bred and tactful, and, rightly judging that good breeding and tact are valuable assets in some quarters of the new society, she sought, through various private channels, for a post as companion or chaperone to one lady. Just when she was rather losing hope as to the success of her effort, the one lady came along in the elfin personality of Morgana Royal, who, after a brief interview in London, selected her with a decision as rapid as it was inexplicable Offering her a salary of five hundred a year, which to Lady Kingswood was a small fortune. You will have nothing to do but just be pleasant, Morgana had told her, smilingly, and enjoy yourself as you like. Of course, I do not expect to be controlled or questioned. I am an independent woman and go my own way, but I'm not at all modern. I don't drink or smoke or dope or crave for male society. I think you'll find yourself all right. And Lady Kingswood had indeed found herself all right. Her own daughter had never been so thoughtful for her comfort as Morgana was, and she became day by day more interested and fascinated by the original turn of mind and the bewitching personality of the strange little creature for whom the ordinary amusements of society seemed to have no attraction. And now, installed in her sumptuously fitted rooms in the palazzo d'oro morgana's sicilian paradise she almost forgot there was such a thing as poverty or the sordid business of making both ends meet walking up and down the rose marble loggia and looking out to the exquisite blue of the sea she inwardly thanked god for all his mercies and wondered at the exceptional good luck that had brought her so much peace combined with comfort and luxury in the evening of her days. She was a handsome old lady. Her refined features, soft blue eyes and white hair, were a composition for an eighteenth-century French miniature, and her dress combined quiet elegance with careful taste. She was inflexibly loyal to her stated position. She neither questioned nor controlled Morgana, or attempted to intrude an opinion as to her actions or movements. And if, as was only natural, she felt a certain curiosity concerning the aims and doings of so brilliant and witch-like a personality, she showed no sign of it. She was interested in the Marchese Rivardi, but still more in the priest, Don Aloysius, to whom she felt singularly attracted partly by his own dignified appearance and manner, and partly by the leaning she herself had toward the Catholic faith, where woman is made sacred in the person of the Holy Virgin, and deemed worthy of making intercession with the Divine. She knew, as we all in our innermost souls know, that it is a symbol of the greatest truth that can ever be taught to humanity. The special morning on which she walked, leaning slightly on a silver-knob stick up and down the loggia and looked at the sea was one of rare beauty even in sicily the sky being of that pure ethereal blue for which one can hardly find a comparison in colour and the ocean below it reflecting it tone for tone as in a mirror in the terraced garden half lost among the intertwining blossoms Morgana moved to and fro, gathering roses. Her little figure, like a white rose itself, set in among the green leaves. Lady Kingswood watched her, with kindly, half-compassionate eyes. It must be a terrible responsibility for her to have so much money, she thought. She can hardly know what to do with it, and somehow I do not think she will marry. At that moment... Morgana came slowly up the steps cut in the grass bordered on either side by flowers and approached her. "'Here are some roses for you, dear Duchess,' she said, Duchess being the familiar or pet name she elected to call her by. "'Specially selected, I assure you. Are you tired, or may I have a talk?' Lady Kingswood took the roses with a smile, touching Morgana's cheek playfully. "'with one of the paler pink buds. "'A talk by all means,' she replied. "'How can I be tired, dear child? "'I'm a lazy old woman, doing nothing all day but enjoy myself.' "'Morgana nodded her golden head approvingly. "'That's right. I'm glad,' she said. "'It's what I want you to do. "'It's a pretty place, this Palazzo d'Ordo, don't you think?' "'More than pretty. It's a perfect paradise.' "'declared Lady Kingswood emphatically. "'Well, I'm glad you like it,' went on Morgana, "'because then you won't mind staying here and looking after it when I'm away. "'I'll have to go away quite soon.' "'Lady Kingswood controlled her first instinctive movement of surprise. "'Really?' she said. "'That seems a pity, as you only arrived so recently.' Morgana gave a wistful glance around her at the beautiful gardens and blue sea beyond. "'Yes, perhaps it is a pity,' she said with a light shrug of her shoulders. "'But I have a great deal to do, and ever so much to learn. I told you, didn't I, that I have had an airship built for me quite on my own lines, an airship that moves like a bird, and is quite different from any other airship ever made or known?' Yes, you told me something about it, answered Lady Kingswood. But you know, my dear, I am very stupid about all these wonderful new inventions. Progress of science, they call it. Well, I'm rather afraid of the progress of science. I'm an old fashioned woman, and I cannot bear to hear of aeroplanes and airships and poor wretched people falling from the sky and being dashed to pieces. The solid earth is quite enough for my old feet. As long as they will support me. Morgana laughed. You dear duchess, she said affectionately. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to travel in my airship. I wouldn't so try your nerves for the world. Though it is an absolutely safe ship, nothing, and she emphasized the word, nothing can upset it or drive it out of its course unless natural law itself is upset. Now let us sit here. And she drew two wicker chairs into the cool shadow of the loggia and set them facing the sea. And have our talk. I've begun it. I'll go on. Tell me, and she nestled down among the cushions, watching Lady Kingswood seat herself in slower, less supple fashion. Tell me, what does it feel like to be married? Lady Kingswood opened her eyes, surprised and amused. What does it feel like, my dear? "'Oh, surely you know what I mean,' pursued Morgana. "'You have been married. "'Well, when you were first married, were you very, very happy? "'Did your husband love you entirely, without a thought for anybody or anything else? "'And were you all in all to each other?' "'Lady Kingswood was quite taken aback by the personal directness of these questions.' but, deciding within herself that Morgana must be contemplating marriage on her own behalf, answered simply and truthfully, My husband and I were very fond of each other. We were the best of friends and good companions. Of course he had his military duties to attend to, and was often absent. And you stayed at home and kept house, interpolated Morgana, musingly. I see. That is what all wives have to do but I suppose he just adored you? Lady Kingswood smiled. Adore is a very strong word to use, my dear, she said. I doubt if any married people adore each other. If they can be good friends and rub along pleasantly through all the sorrows and joys of life together, they should be satisfied. And you call that love, said Morgana, with a passionate thrill in her voice. Love! love that is blood within the veins of time, just rubbing along pleasantly together. Dear Duchess, that wouldn't suit me! Lady Kingswood looked at her with interested, kind eyes. But then what would suit you? she queried. You know you mustn't expect the impossible. What the world calls the impossible is always the possible, said Morgana. "'and only the impossible appeals to me.' "'This was going beyond the boundary line "'of Lady Kingswood's brain-capacity, "'so she merely remained agreeably quiescent. "'And when your child was born,' pursued Morgana, "'did you feel a wonderful ecstasy, "'a beautiful peace and joy, "'a love so great that it was "'as if God had given you something of his own "'to hold and keep?' lady kingswood laughed outright my dear you are too idealistic having a baby is not at all a romantic business quite the reverse and babies are not interesting till they begin to take notice as the nurses say then when they get older and have to go to school you soon find out that you have loved them far more than they have loved or ever will love you as she said this, her voice trembled a little, and she sighed. "'I see. I think I quite understand,' said Morgana. "'And it is just what I have always imagined. There is no great happiness in marriage. If it is only a matter of rubbing along pleasantly together, two friends can always do that without any sex attraction, or tying themselves up together for life. And it's not much joy to bring children into the world and waste treasures of love on them. If after you have done all you can, they leave you without a regret, like the birds that fly from a nest when once they know how to use their wings." Lady Kingswood's eyes were sorrowful. My daughter was a very pretty girl, she said. Her father and I were proud of her looks and charm of manner. We spared every shilling we could to give her the best and most careful education, and we surrounded her with as much pleasure and comfort at home as possible. But at the first experience of society, and the flattery of strangers, she left us. Her choice of a husband was most unfortunate, but she would not listen to our advice, though we had loved her so much. She thought he loved her more. Morgana lifted her eyes. The fay light was glittering in them. Yes, she thought he loved her. That's what many a woman thinks, that he, the particular he, loves her. But how seldom he does! How much more often he loves himself! You must not be cynical, my dear, said Lady Kingswood, gently. Life is f- certainly full of disappointments, especially in love and marriage. But we must endure our sorrows patiently and believe that God does everything for the best. This was the usual panacea which the excellent lady offered for all troubles, and Morgana smiled. Yes, it must be hard work for God, she said. Cruel work! To do everything for the best and to find it being turned into the worst by the very creatures one seeks to benefit must be positive torture. Well, dear Duchess, I asked you all these questions about love and marriage, just to know if you could say anything that might alter my views. But you have confirmed them. I feel that there is no such thing in the world as the love I want, and marriage without it would be worse than any imagined hell. So I shall not marry." Lady Kingswood's Face expressed a mild tolerance. You say that just now, she said, but I think you will alter your mind some day. You would not like to be quite alone always, not even in the Palazzo d'Oro. You are quite alone? Ah, but I am an old woman, my dear. I have lived my day. That's not true, said Morgana decisively. You have not lived your day, since you are living now. And if you are old, that is just a reason why you should not be alone. But you are. Your husband is dead, and your daughter has other ties. So even marriage left you high and dry on the rocks, as it were, till my little boat came along and took you off them. A very welcome little boat, said Lady Kingswood with feeling. A rescue in the nick of time. Never mind that, and Morgana waved her pretty hand expressively my point is that marriage just marriage has not done much for you it is what women clamour for and scheme for and nine out of ten regret the whole business when they have had their way there are so many more things in life worth winning lady kingswood looked at her interestedly she made a pretty picture just then in her white morning gown seated in a low basket chair with pale blue silk cushions behind her on which her golden head rested with the brightness of a daffodil so many more things she repeated my airship for instance it's worth all the men and the marriages i've ever heard of my beloved white eagle my own creation my baby such a baby she laughed but i must learn to fly with it alone i hope you will do nothing rash said lady kingswood mildly she was very ignorant of modern discovery and invention, and all attempt to explain anything of the kind to her would have been a hopeless business. I understand that it is always necessary to take a pilot and an observer in these terrible sky-machines. She was interrupted by a gay little peal of laughter from Morgana. Terrible! Oh, dear Duchess, you are too funny! There's nothing terrible about my sky-machine! Do you ever read poetry? No? Well, then, you don't know that lovely and prophetic line of Keats Beautiful things made new for the surprise of the sky children. Poets are always prophetic, that is, real poets, not modern verse mongers. And I fancy Keats must have imagined something in the far distant future like my white eagle. For it really is a beautiful thing made new a beautiful natural force put to new uses, and who knows, I may yet surprise those sky-children. Lady Kingswood Mind floundered helplessly in this flood of what, to her, was incomprehensibility. Morgana went on in the sweet, fluting voice which was one of her special charms. "'If you haven't read Keats, you must have read at some time or other the Arabian Nights and the story of Sindbad the Sailor. Yes, you think you have? Well, you know how poor Sindbad got into the Valley of Diamonds and waited for an eagle to fly down and carry him off. That's just like me. I've been dropped into a Valley of Diamonds and often wondered how I should escape. But the eagle has arrived. I'm afraid I don't quite follow you, said Lady Kingswood. I'm rather dense, you know. Surely your Valley of Diamonds, if you mean wealth, has made your eagle possible? Morgana nodded. "'Exactly. If there had been no Valley of Diamonds, there would have been no Eagle. But, all the same, this little female Sindbad is glad to get out of the valley.' Lady Kingswood laughed. "'My dear child, if you are making a sort of allegory on your wealth, you are not out of the valley, nor are you likely to be.' Morgana sighed. "'My vulgar wealth,' she murmured. "'What? Vulgar?' yes a man told me it was a vulgar man himself i should imagine said lady kingswood warmly morgana shrugged her shoulders carelessly oh no he isn't he's eccentric but not vulgar he's aristocratic to the tips of his toes and english that accounts for his rudeness sometimes you know only sometimes englishmen can be very rude but i'd rather have them so it's a sort of well-bred clumsiness like the manners of a Newfoundland dog. It's not the make-a-dollar air of American men. You are quite English yourself, aren't you? queried her companion. No, not English in any sense. I'm pure Celtic of Celt, from the farthest highlands of Scotland. But I hate to say I'm Scotch, as slangy people use that word for whiskey. I'm just highland-born. My father and mother were the same, and I came to life a wild moor, among mists and mountains and stormy seas. I'm always glad of that. I'm glad my eyes did not look there first on a city. There's a tradition in the part of Scotland where I was born which tells of a history far, far back in time when sailors of Phoenicia came to our shores. Men greatly civilized when we were all but savages, and they made love to the highland women and had children by them. Then, when they went away back to Egypt, they left many traces of eastern customs and habits which remain to this day. My father used always to say that he could count his ancestry back to Egypt. It pleased him to think so, and it did nobody any harm. "'Have you ever been to the East?' asked Lady Kingswood. "'No, but I'm going. My white eagle will take me there in a very short time. But as I've already told you, I must learn to fly alone.' What does the Marchese Rivarde say to that?' "'I don't ask him,' replied Morgana indifferently. "'What I may decide to do is not his business.' She broke off abruptly, then continued, "'He is coming to luncheon, and afterwards you shall see my airship. I won't persuade you to go up in it.' "'I couldn't,' said Lady Kingswood emphatically. "'I've no nerve for such an adventure.' Morgana rose from her chair, smiling kindly. "'Dear Duchess, be quite easy in your mind,' she said. "'I want you very much on land, but I shall not want you in the air. "'You will be quite safe and happy here, in the Palazzo d'Oro.' She turned as she saw the shadow of a man's tall figure fall on the smooth marble pavement of the loggia. "'Ah, here is the Marchese. We were just speaking of you.' Trop he murmured, as he kissed the little hand she held out to him, in the Sicilian fashion of gallantry. I fear I am perhaps too early. Oh, no, we were about to go in to luncheon. I know the hour by the bell of the monastery down there. You hear it? A soft ting-ting-tong rang from the olive and ilex woods below the palazzo, and Morgana, listening, smiled. Poor Donna Aloysius, she said, he will go now to his soup-meg, and we oui to our poulet, sauce bechamel, and he will be quite as contented as we are. More so, probably, said Rivardi, as he courteously assisted Lady Kingswood, who was slightly lame, to rise from her chair. He is one of the few men in life who have found peace. Morgana gave him a keen glance. You think he has really found it? I think so. Yes, he has faith in God a great support that has given way for most of the peoples of this world lady kingswood looked pained i am sorry to hear you say that i am sorry myself to say it my lady, but i fear it is true he rejoined it is one sign of a general break-up oh you are right you are very right exclaimed morgana suddenly and with emphasis we know that when even one human being is unable to recognize his best friend we say poor man his brain is gone it's the same thing with a nation or a world when it is so ailing that it cannot recognize the friend who brought it into being who feeds it keeps it and gives it all it has we must say the same thing its brain is gone rivardi was surprised at the passionate energy she threw into these words you feel that deeply he said and yet pardon me you do not assume to be religious Marchese, I assume nothing, she answered. I cannot pretend. To assume or to pretend would hardly serve the creator adequately. Creative or natural force is so far away from sham that one must do more than assume. One must be! Her voice thrilled on the air, and Lady Kingswood, who was crossing the loggia, leaning on her stick, paused to look at the eloquent speaker she was worth looking at just then for she seemed inspired her eyes were extraordinarily brilliant and her whole personality expressed a singular vitality coupled with an ethereal grace that suggested something almost superhuman yes one must be she repeated i have not been a student of science so long without learning that there is no assuming anything in the universe one must see straight, and think straight, too. I could not assume religion, because I feel it, in the very depths of my soul. As Don Aloysius said the other day, it is marvellous how close we are to the source of all life, and yet we imagine we are far away. If we could only realise the truth of the divine nearness and work with it and in it, we should make discoveries worth knowing. WE WORK TOO MUCH WITH OURSELVES AND OF OURSELVES. SHE PAUSED, THEN ADDED SLOWLY AND SERIOUSLY, I HAVE NEVER DONE ANY WORK THAT WAY. I HAVE ALWAYS CONSIDERED MYSELF NOTHING. THE FORCE I HAVE OBEYED WAS AND IS EVERYTHING. AND SO, BEING NOTHING, YOU STILL MADE YOUR AIRSHIP POSSIBLE, SAID Rivardi, SMILING INDULGENTLY, at her fantastic speech, she answered him with unmoved and patient gravity. It is, as you say, being nothing myself, and owning myself to be nothing, the force that is everything, made my airship possible. End of chapter 14